Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Allison. Today's guest is Alex McElroy. He's a speaker, he's an author, and a pastor, and also apologist. Alex, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely, man. That's a pleasure, man. So, Alex, you know, we were talking backstage about some of the things that you've been through, man. And for you, it's it's been a journey, man. And I would like for you to just tell our audience a little bit about yourself, man, and how you got to this particular point in your life. And tell us a little bit about how you got to being becoming a pastor and now leading people, man, and changing lives, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for for having me and allow me to um to expound on some of these things. I don't know how far back to go, but um being a pastor was never on my radar. It's not something I went to school for. It's not something I think really I spent most of my life running from it, to be honest with you. Um and you know, from my my dad passing away when I was eleven, um, and then the five years kind of prior to that kind of watching him deteriorate it started with something called sickle cell uh, many people are familiar with and um led to kidney failure kidney transplant um, didn't quite take then there were some other gastrointestinal issues and it was kind of dialysis and in and out the hospital and in and out the home and you know can't go on vacation because dad has to go back to the hospital and that's not a complaint it's just that was that was my young life and so right. um Fast forward a little bit. Um, so he did pass away when I was 11. And uh, then we end up moving from Maryland to Virginia uh, a couple years later. My mom gets remarried. Um, my stepdad was, you know, as a young kid, especially young boy, you're thinking, okay, that didn't work out the best with my dad. And I got a, I got a second shot. Um, you know, you need that father figure. Um, and and it just it didn't materialize that that way. He for whatever reason I still don't know to this day. He didn't like me, um, didn't love me, um, but did with my brother who was also not his child. It was our, my biological parents, so it didn't make any sense to me. And kids are very perceptive, and you know I picked up on stuff even though it wasn't verbalized that way. It turns out later I, I was um, conversation with my mom and when I was in college and. They were actually getting divorced at the time because he was kind of emotionally abusive to her and to me, mm -hmm. uh, to us. And so we were talking and I was like, yeah, mom, this is how I felt with him. And she told me that he actually told her one night. Yeah, I don't I'm not really feeling Alex. Uh, I can take him or leave him. And now it's everything confirmed that I was just kind of feeling and thinking. Um, so obviously that caused a lot of. You know, it led me, I had a lot of anger issues in, in those college years. I got involved in some uh, illegal activity, led me down some dark places, dark roads, places I should never have been in. And I was always really smart. I was at a good school and it was not matching what I was capable of, but I didn't, honestly, I should have been in therapy a long time ago. <laughs> but, you know, certain communities we don't especially when i was younger 30 years ago that that wasn't a thing right right so um you know those things catch up to you though and i was always a really smart kid so i was always in like the best the highest gifted classes and i, I got into one of the best universities in this country just off of that and there's an academic rigor that you have to sustain at those type of colleges and so right. my my kind of alcohol and, and drug issues and anger issues were catching up and I couldn't, I just couldn't get the, the educational part to, to stay at the same level that I always did. Another piece of that puzzle is I actually get kicked out of college for academic um, uh, probation. It's supposed to be a year withdrawal. At that time I had a, <laughs> I had a broken, I had a cast on my arm cause I had punched through this kid's door cause I got mad anger issues. Right. Um, <laughs> My mom takes me to like six or seven different psychiatrists and one of them and i was i was a type where if i knew what you're trying to do to me it's not gonna work all right <laughs> i know you're trying to i know what you're trying to get to but this one did say some stuff that he's that i didn't i just hadn't thought of and he long story short he figured out i had adhd now i know it's overdiagnosed, but it was for me it's real and what what he one of the things he said was like, I'll be honest, I had never fully read a full book prior to college. 
Uh-huh. I needed a book front to back. I couldn't, I couldn't. And I just thought people didn't, you know, kids don't like reading. So that's, that's just, I thought it was like that, uh-huh. but I just can't, I couldn't read five pages and then remember what I read. I have to reread it again. It's frustrating. And he asked me what type of video games I like to play. And I was like, he's like, do you like to play the, the long, like, this is going to be way back Zelda. <laughs> I know Zelda. I'm familiar with Zelda, man. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother always played those type of games. And I always only wanted to play like Madden or, or like quick sports games. And he was like, that's a good signifier. I was like, man, that's really, because it makes so much sense when he said it. Long story short, I'm on medication. I was on medication. I cha- I got my, my year changed to a six-month medical probation. So mm-hmm. I fought my way back into school. This is part of the overcoming adversity because I refused to be another statistic. I knew I was a smart kid. I wasn't going to be another black kid that almost made it. You right. know, you know, that's the only way I can say it. And um, I owed better to my mom, to my to the memory of my father. They're, my dad was a psychiatrist. My mom's a lawyer. They both have you know, advanced first in their generations or first in their families, both to have those level of degrees. Right. I was like, I ain't going out like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I met with the dean and basically begged and they said, okay, here's the requirements. You can't, you have to have at least a three GPA, no more fights. Um, you got to meet with the dean twice a month, like one-on-one, which right. I don't even know if they that ever was a thing with a student. <laughs> um, and yeah, and and so I did that. Now I, I still kept partying and, and doing my other stuff and still kept some of my other activities, unfortunately, but I buckled down and focus and reorganize my life. And, and the last year of college, because I was a semester behind, I stayed there and I went from January semester, mm-hmm. summer semester, I went January to December all one time to finish. Wow. So I wanted to to get that degree. I was already working a job and I came back for my graduation. <laughs> let, me ask, let me ask you this, Alex, man. As a kid at, at 11 years old, to see what your dad was going through, knowing that you guys have that bond, can you tell us a little bit of what that was like, that experience within your household, knowing that this person that you love, this person that you care about, is close to death, man. What was that like going through in your household, bro? Uh, it's hard to describe because it's kind of it's it's hard to describe in the same way that when so, when when let's say someone in your family is sick or dying, and then people want to come and con- give you you know care and concern. Most of the time when there's a funeral or something like that's happened, people say the wrong thing. They just and it's not their fault. It's just people don't know how to do it. They don't know what yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah. And that's kind of similar here. It's like I, unless you experience it, it's hard to even really put in words when there's somebody that's foundational in your life. Yeah. And then they're here and then they're not. Mm-hmm. And there's no you can't redo, you can't change it. You can't have one more time. There's, it's just not, they're just gone. Right. So you don't, this is why I should have gone to therapy at 11 because these are the questions I needed to be asked then. Mm-hmm. So that it would have prevented me from doing some stupid stuff later because I, you, you, you have a, a loss of your foundation to a certain extent. Yeah. And especially as the the big brother, big brother at eleven, whatever, <laughs> the oldest, <laughs> you know, now the oldest guy in the house. I got my younger brother, my mom. You know, this is back in the day, latchkey kids. So like, y- your responsibilities were different. Your right. Mom's at work. I got an hour and a half bus ride to this magnet school, one way each way with my brother. We got to get home. Got to you know just. So you become the man of the house way before you're ready to do that. Right. And it wasn't like my mom put that pressure on me. I think I put it on myself. But then that also prevents you from fully mourning. And this is the part I didn't realize till later that you got to keep the you got to keep it going. So you you kind of put on that tough exterior, or you just suppress those feelings to a certain extent because there's nothing you can do to bring them back. But you have to keep living. You know, and and both of those things are true. I just think that it's better for people to have help through a therapist or somebody through that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What, what, do you, what do you think you learned about yourself going through that? Because you you just mentioned like now I I I took on this role of responsibility. I've adopted a whole bunch of things, and now I'm dealing with mourning for my dad. Looking back at it now retrospectively, what what do you think you've learned about yourself going through that experience? Uh, yeah. I've learned that, well, you learn what's in you, um, whether you want to or not, uh, good and bad. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you learn different coping mechanisms in a way, mm -hmm. um, how to come kind of compartmentalize certain aspects of your life. And it's not, this is not good things I learned necessarily. This is just things I noticed. Um, but the good things I did learn is mentally at least i'm stronger than maybe i i knew um i have a, i have i'm very persistent very consistent but those things help me make sense or or keep organized and i didn't know i had adhd at the time so my for me like people will almost mock me for the level of consistency that I, <laughs> I, it's almost robotic i just can't turn it off which is a good thing because it gets a lot of things done but but i think it was a necessary kind of coping mechanism for me to regulate my life. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of like kids out here in this world that are dealing with blended family or having step parents and things like that. For you, your experience was not the greatest. And then it seemed like from your story, it was very divided in regards to how love was divvied out and shared out within the household. Can you talk a little bit about looking back at it now, man, for a listener that's listening, that kid that's listening or that mom that's listening, that dad that's listening. Can you talk about it now? What are some things if a child is in a blended family and they're struggling to connect with that dad or that mom? What are some things that you think from your experience looking back at it that should have been done, could have been done in regards to like men, that type of relationship? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if mine could have been mended. Mm -hmm. um, what I what I'll say, and this connects to kind of me now and my mm -hmm. life now or the last 20 ish years. From me working in youth ministry, teaching in juvenile jail, always, always FCA, everything I do with youth and have done is because I want to be that person that you're talking about that that kid needs. Mm -hmm. And the person that I didn't have. And it wasn't my mom, she, you know, she was amazing. Um, but she can't be a father, you know, I know right. we, it's a different day and age, but I just, she can, she can be my mother, but she can't be my father. Mm -hmm. And especially with young boys, they need that. And so getting, you know, the church can be a great avenue here because discipleship is what needs to happen. So I, I, I tell parents and I've had mothers like, can you please take my son, disciple him? And they, they, they you know, they started staying here on the weekend and, and I don't know how many kids have been over here eating up my food, but <laughs> not, not trying to be their father, but just show them, okay, this is what a man can be. Not that I'm perfect. And this is what I can help you with. And I'll be here and I'll be consistent with you. Just that reassurance can give that kid the, the desire not to go this wrong route, but to stay on the straight and narrow. And, and, and I think that's huge. So my deviation was uh, like seven, eight years after this situation. And then I think that's the part that can be missed. You can seem fine. The kid can seem fine, but there's some stuff that may be dormant that when it does come up, it's not going to be good. So I think that's what um, on-time therapy can help with. But <clears throat> I, I wanted, I needed to know at that time in my life that life will go on, that, that, that I have an identity, that I do still have a purpose as part, part of the reason for my, my show title. Um, you need those things poured into you by an adult that you trust. And my mom did. And like I said, she was amazing, awesome woman of God. But there's some things I needed to know as a man 
or as a young man um, that I just didn't learn and I didn't learn the right way. So then when I learned to be tougher or whatever you want to call it, that went wrong too. Cause it went, it went over the, it went overboard, right? Like we see right. that all the time. These, okay, so I'm going to tr try to be a man, but then you go too far, <laughs> and you hurt somebody or God forbid, kill somebody. And thank God I didn't do anything like that. But um, you need a man there to kind of regulate or help you regulate your own growth in that process because young men unhinged do a lot of damage. Right. Um, and this is part of the reason I do what I do because I'm trying to give them a hinge to hang on to. Right. Uh, so they don't go out here and, and, you know, people see the news and especially in the city I live in. Um, just want you to know there are people on the front lines actively trying to mitigate that. So don't believe everything you see on the news. Can you, can you take us through the point where you're in college and you're going through all of these different things and you decided to uh, change your life and I'm not going to be a statistics. Can you share with us that path of self-discovery? Can you share with us what was like a pivotal moment? Was there something that that struck a chord, struck a nerve at what particular point in that? And you said, All right, no, 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 this is not going to be it. And you said, I'm going to change my life right now. It was it was the moment that it happened. I never I've never failed. I mean, up to that point, I had never failed anything. Um, definitely nothing in school. I was always straight A's, you know getting awards and everything. And then there was a class and I remember, I was like, what do I need in this class? So I, Cause I knew I needed that class. And it wasn't a class I cared about, but it was like, it could hurt me. And so I went to the teacher, I was like, what do I need to do on this final exam to make sure I, I get the grade so I can make sure I don't get out of here. And I don't know what happened, but I failed it. And that class got me kicked out. And at that moment, um, I think that was the moment of decision. It was, it was, it was embarrassing. It was definitely embarrassing for me to tell my mom, like somebody who sacrificed everything for, yeah. for me to be there. Um, and it was, it was really her. Like I cared more about what it did to her than what even what it did to myself. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't to say that my life would be over from that point, but it was just, no, we're just not, the story's not going to end like that. So I, I, I've given this talk several times at a, at a high school to, to high school students. So like usually the whole junior class and it's about self-esteem and this is part of the story. What do you do when your self-esteem is challenged? And if there's not a foundation to come back to, yeah, it's going to be difficult to regulate yourself. And this is what is, this is what is so problematic, or this is what is so um, difficult, especially when you lose a parent, because a part of your identity is unclear or unformed. And you may not be able to verbalize that, mm -hmm. but it's, there's some part of you that's like, I don't really fully know who I am, but you live every day as yourself. And that's the part when you asked me that first question, I was like, I don't really know how to describe it because unless you felt that, you don't really know what that feels like. So my mom uh, and and her support, I mean, from me getting arrested two or three times, she 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 didn't she was always there. She didn't raise me like that. That's not like this was totally out of character, but she still stuck with me and she took me to every psychiatrist and she helped me get back in school and not happy with me through the whole process, but <laughs> with me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm grateful to her for, for uh, all that. Hey man, you know, you kind of like mentioned something that I, I wanted to ask if you could elaborate a little bit about it, man, because when you chose that, like that had that pivotal moment, can you talk a little bit about the role of like consistency and perseverance, right? Because I I, I hear from your story where I, I've also heard from other people's story I've seen in my own life where people are around certain types of people, they're around different types of group and they choose to change their life. And then sometimes they get sucked back in and, and things like that, right? So can you talk a little bit about just being consistent and just like perseverance in regards to continue on that path to where you're at now? Now you're mentoring people, you're speaking to people and you're helping leading people, man. Yeah, I will talk about it, but I'll also say this. 
and this may not align with everybody who watches this, but I'm probably only, no, I'm only alive because of the prayers of my mom and my grandma. Mm -hmm. um, and, I'm, and I mean it in a literal sense, like I should be dead or in jail or something. But I, and I say that because there's, there was things I did and there's things I made uh, a point to change. Huh. But I still was still was selling drugs, still was doing drugs, still was doing a lot of other things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, still putting myself in harm's way, kind of to your point. Like I was you're out, but you're not out. And so I was doing better in school, but I was still doing some of the other stuff. And so what really happened, it was after college. Um, now, because I was my mom raised me right and raised in the church and everything like that, I knew the foundation, I knew God, and I I knew I had drifted away. And this is the other part about that story the whole time that i was living that lifestyle hustling and everything else i knew it was wrong i knew i was wrong and i really didn't want to do that and this is part of the message i give to kids now the 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 rapper video lifestyle is a lie and i <laughs> i know for a fact you are never at peace you're never happy when you're living that lifestyle you can pretend put your boys in front of you and you can act like, yeah, man, do it. It's a lie. The nights that I would cry myself to sleep on my pillow that no one else could see because you have to be tough on the exterior. Mm -hmm. But I but I knew, I knew I was wrong. And so the part for me, you know, this is not for everybody, but for my part was I knew I needed God. I knew I needed to come back, but I didn't know how. And I felt too dirty to go to church, honestly. Mm. I really the one place I needed to go, I felt too dirty to go. Mm. So I stopped going for pretty much the whole time. Unless I would go home on the weekend, my mom would go make, you know, I have to go with her. Um, but I had a foundation. So this is, this is to answer your question. So after college, I remember praying like, you know, God, once I get my job, this I'm done with this life and, and all that. And, and that was true. I, I gave away whatever I had left. So when I get to, well, the job I had after college, there was a, there was a guy I met, one of, the, one of my friends in the program, and we started going back to church. So like that was kind of the reintroduction for me. And maybe a few, couple, couple two, three years after that, it was kind of like full, like I, I feel this pull so heavy. Um, and at that point, it was easy to let go of that stuff. So having the foundation, even though it wasn't consistent, it wasn't consistent in me at that time, later became consistent. But the consistency also was, um, I'm, I know I got to do this, this, and this, and then I'll go to the party. Like I, I, it's still not all the way right because I probably shouldn't have <laughs> gone in, but it was, it was like I became more regimented. I became more okay. Take care of your business, then go have fun. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually that became just take care of your business and that's not fun anymore. But the the consistency, like I said, it just helped me make sense of um, life and make sense of what to do next, make sense of how to process things, make, make sense of how to plan for the future. Um, yeah, it just it just kind of helped me with all, all of those things still to this day in life. I'm not can sure you if talk, I answered the question. Can you talk a little bit about, man, what brought you on the path of discovering your purpose to becoming a pastor and apologist? And if you can, I guess, explain to our audience what that is actually. Yeah. So apologetics is a branch of theology concerned with the accurate defense of the faith, uh, Christian faith, and through scientific, historical, archaeological evidence, philosophical evidence. So I typically I travel around you know, the country. Uh, teaching and speaking on evidence of various kinds. I have a YouTube channel called Relentless Pursuit of Purpose, where I bring on guests, experts, astrophysicists, biochemists, historians, whoever, or I produce my own videos. And really, it starts with the idea of truth. And so if there is no such thing as truth, we don't need to be talking. Like, we can all go home, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if truth does exist, then it matters what truth is. And so I know a lot of people have different opinions and that's the reason for apologetics because I'm not just telling you my opinion, I'm, I'm giving evidence and, and, and backing that up. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
What was it? I'm sorry. The first question was, how does apologize? What led you on your path to your purpose? And yes. then can you tell us a little bit about um, what, what it is the, in regards to like being a pastor and, and apologetics as well? So the whole path to purpose, and this is a question I get asked all the time, and I, it's hard because I can't pinpoint anything. But this is part of my coaching and my lesson to people is your purpose is in you mm -hmm. um, from birth, really. It has to be mentored and developed. And this is this also connects with the parent thing. So when you're missing a piece of the father or mother, it doesn't mean your purpose is is gone or mistaken. It means it's going to be it's going to be a little bit diff more difficult, possibly to discover it, possibly. Mm -hmm. But it's still there. So there are signs and I tell people do homework on yourself, especially younger people do the most important homework assignment you'll ever do is on yourself. So, for example, in ninth grade, my English teacher said, oh, you speak well. You should join the debate team. I was like, what the heck is a debate team? So <laughs> I joined. And for those that don't know, obviously, you have, uh, you're have you given a position. You have to argue two, two in the affirmative, two in the negative. Uh -huh. And that means you have to know both sides of the equation. Right. You have to know both sides of the argument and be able to convince somebody. Right Now, fast forward uh, 30 years later, I'm an apologist. And I don't make a point of debating, but I do have to know both sides of the argument. I have to be able to articulate evidence for my position. I didn't know that was going to come in my future. Right. God knew. And the skill set that needed to be developed to get me here was already being developed there. And if I if I knew the future at that time, I could have focused better at that time. Mm. So, that, so for those who are younger listening, don't think of things, oh, this doesn't matter for my future, or this doesn't matter. No, take notes on what you need to learn or what you can learn. You might see, you might be working at Dairy Queen, I don't know, and you see something in, a, in an organizational structural way that, man, why are they doing that? They could do this. If they, if they did that, this will make this easier and safe. I'll tell people notes, that all the time. Right? Yeah. Take notes because that knowledge, that, that solution is in you for a reason. I tell people, and I, and I think in my TED Talk, I said, Usually, whatever frustrates in you, whatever frustrates you in life is what you were born to solve. Right. So there are things that frustrate you, Michael Allison. Yeah. That other people see it and they're like, "Hey, whatever, that's not a big deal." But it frustrates you to the point that you created a course. Right. Right. <laughs> like that's a that's a big undertaking. Right. Because everyone else glossed over it, but the the thing in you won't let you gloss over it. Right. Those are the things everyone listening, pay attention to those things. Pay attention to the things that that you can't let go that everyone else seems to brush off. And as you begin to put all those things together and connect the dots, then eventually you'll that'll kind of formulate into okay, these things all point to this. This is where I need to go. This is what I need to live into. This is what I need to address and try to fix. Um, that's where purpose comes from. And I, so I, for me, purpose is not a job specific thing. Purpose can flow on any job. Um, but you have to understand yourself first in order to know that. Can you tell, tell me this, man, when you decided to make that change and you're on your path and now you're leading the people that saw you before when you were in that space, drug dealing or getting in trouble and stuff like that, to see the transformation in you, that includes your mom too, man. You know, what was that like for you? And what was it like for them too, to see that change, bro? If you've never believed in God, just look at me. <laughs> <laughs> there is no earthly explanation. Like, I know everybody says that. <laughs> this is what's, this is just so crazy. So all... So a lot of my friends and my wife's friends, our roommates, her roommates, the least likely couple to make it is the only one still together. And that's me. Oh, tell us tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> I mean, between others who've gotten divorced and this and that, I was, I was an alcoholic drug dealer with anger issues uh -huh. when she met me in college. She was an atheist. Mm-hmm. The way she got saved is a whole testimony story we have on my channel. Um, if you look at me then and today, this is there's no way I could fake it that well. <laughs> there's, no way, there's no way I could fake it that well. Not this consistently for this many years. So th there is no like literal explanation other than God did it. So 
that's challenging for some people. I mean, that's their problem. You you got to reconcile it. I don't have to reconcile it. But um, I couldn't make myself this. I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't just flip a switch and turn off that old Alex. Um, I couldn't do it. So for my mom, you said, I remember one time I came home drunk. Um, and she said something to me. She said, Alex, you're, you're, I see a couple of things. She's like, I, and she said this before. She's like, I see ministry in you, but I think you're going to end up having a prison ministry from the inside. Mm -hmm. Like I'll be an inmate. And that hit me. Um, I do prison ministry today, but from the outside. <laughs> um, and she was right. Um, I, it was, and that was another and I didn't change overnight, but it was like a, man, if that ends up being my story, I'm this kid, nice suburban home, Virginia, smart kid in jail for like, that doesn't, that's not how the story goes. So right. it was a kick in the butt. So fast forward, now I'm well into ministry and, and, and before my mom passed, um, so she passed in 2018, uh, relatively young as well. I was, I was 37, I think. Um, for her to see me thriving in ministry and for us to have so many conversations before her passing of apologetics and life and, and, and good things like that was a blessing to me to be able to let her know, um, I'm, I'm fully, I'm fully changed. I'm all in with this new life. And, you know, it, there's, you don't get to write your story. I mean, you do, but you don't. Mm -hmm. Um, I know she wouldn't have written my story her as, as her son that way, but I think she was, like I said, before passing really excited and happy with what God had done essentially, um, in and through me. And so it's undeniable the change. I don't even try to explain it anymore. I can show you some <laughs> pictures, I think, but, uh, <laughs> it's, there's no other, there's, there's no explanation. Like I'm, I'm at a loss for words because it, cause it's not. It's not anything people have said, like, man, Alex, do you one of one of them a person asked me, do you remember any nights in college? Cause I was so gone every night. Mm -hmm. They're like, Do you remember, do you remember anything? I'm like, some. <laughs> 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 um, and I can laugh about it now because I'm here, but it's not. But but in in hindsight, I look back, I'm like, man, what the heck the heck was I doing? You know? Wow. wow. Yeah. So you decided to package all of this knowledge and wisdom and um, put it inside of a book, man. Can you tell us a little bit about the book that you are published? Yeah. So a lot of that's not in here, but Blueprint for Bible Basics is a great tool for, so I was in youth ministry working with youth as a youth minister, and we started to see some inconsistencies. And so the, my friend, the youth pastor at the time was like, hey, can you write something to address this? And so there was one thing, turn into eight things, turn into a six week course that we would take the kids through. And then that turned later into a smaller book called blueprint for Bible basics it has mm -hmm. a study guide included in it has a little bit of apologetics material, but it's when I say basics, it is, it's not denominations and tongues and baptism and all that. It's just foundational. Um, the things we all agree on, hopefully. Right. And, um, just to give them that foundation, like I said, that, um, like I was talking about for myself, I didn't have, I had a great foundation, but losing a parent automatically disrupts that to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. So just giving, giving them a foundation to, to stand on that when life does come, you have something to stand on. Absolutely, man. Speaking of foundations, and you just mentioned your wife, can you talk a little bit about your transformation, but talk about your support systems and people that was in place. So was there any mentors? Were there any coaches? Were there uh, any books or podcasts that you were listening to? Mm. It also includes like your wife while you was on your journey that was supporting you, that was rooting for you in your corner, man. Yeah, this is interesting because. So God's been faithful that at certain points, there's been some guy, um, some pastor, some person, some man that was for at least for a season stepped in and was kind of helping me or mentoring me in some way. And I didn't even necessarily realize it all the time, but it, looking back, it was happening. Definitely 
once I got back into church, it was more consistent. That was definitely happening. In fact, um, the pastor, senior pastor, I, I just kind of had favor to be able to go in and talk to him at any time. Not that I asked for it and I, not that I was looking for it. And I, I didn't even know it was weird, but it just maybe God knew I needed that. So that worked out. And then his kind of number two became my personal disciple or mentor or whatever. So definitely then and going forward, yes. Um, but I don't think my wife, she's definitely a support and support system. I don't think she was in the way that we would think about it now. So like, because she was not, because she was an atheist, she wasn't supporting me on that journey. She was with me, mm -hmm. but she was more like, I don't want to say against it, but just that doesn't, that's not in the foreview of her life. Um, in fact, that's the reason we ended up breaking up and then later got back together, which is how she ended up getting saved. Um, so that's a whole a longer story that you, people I, I, was, I was about to ask you, can you explain that a little bit? Because how can someone that believes in God lives with someone that don't believe in God? Yeah. So that was my mistake too. Yeah. So I'm, out of college and I didn't know everything that was gonna happen. So I, I, I moved to Chicago first because um, I was a couple years ahead in school. She's still in school, about to graduate. And so I'm here, I'm living and working. And we actually broke up because I was like, we can't do the long distance thing. Mm -hmm. And then um, long, she gets over, she was supposed to go over Teach for America. They booked her in Atlanta. They overbooked Atlanta. One of the other cities they were trying to rebook people to was Chicago. The craziest thing was, when I broke up with her, I was like, you know, if we come back together, I'll take it as a, as a sign from God. But I was just talking. I wasn't really, you know, <laughs> you know and God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, it ended up happening. So then we're living together and I wasn't, that was also my mistake. So then it's like, uh, at that time, or later in that time, that's when God really started pulling on me. And then it was, then it was only, that was the only first time it was a struggle where I, it was the first time I thought, man, I can't, this, this being with her just now, that's cool. It's really not cool, but it it's okay. There's no kids. There's no nothing like that. We can't get married. I can't be married to like, how's that going to work? I'm married. Mm -hmm. I'm going to church. She's like, that's not going to work. And I remember the two can be unequally yoked and all the scriptures. So, that's when I really started seeking counsel from my pastor about basically in my mind, trying to find a loophole because there was nothing wrong with the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I loved her. She loved me. It was good. So how do you tell, how do you tell an atheist I'm breaking up with you because of God? <laughs> 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 so I, I mustered the conversation the, uh, enough courage to have the conversation. Now here's the, here's the quick version of the testimony. I still encourage people to watch the longer version. I went to her one day after getting the, the counsel, the courage, and I said, look, I love you, but I have to let you go. Um, I love you, but I love God more. Hmm. And I just got the words out. I was like, just, I got to say it. It is what it is. And at that time in my life, all I wanted to do was be obedient to mm -hmm. God. I didn't care about um, trying to figure out all the next steps of life. And it was just like, let me just be obedient and see what happens. So that happened, and and because you're living together, which we shouldn't have been, now it's that awkward phase of okay, who's gonna move out and mm -hmm. when, you know, because it's basically it's over, but it's not over. So, right. um, long story short, about two months later, I'm in I'm in church, pastor's preaching. It's one of those sermons you feel like you're the only one in the building, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to me. He had prayed. He, he was talking about, yeah, there was five girlfriends, not all at the same time, but throughout his course until he met his wife. Like, I, I thought this was the one. I would pray. God said no. And whatever. He kept going. I was like, man, you know, the only thing I haven't done, I've been trying to do all this on me. Like, I'm mm -hmm. trying to make her this, and I'm trying to, I haven't really given God a chance. So I went home. I was like, hey, would you like to come to church next Sunday? And I said it kind of tongue in cheek, thinking she'll say no, and whatever. That'll be it. So she said, yes. I was like, okay, she'll come. She'll see these crazy Christians and then she'll go home. And, and then, you know, that'll be the clean break. But at least I gave God a chance, right? So, bro, this is the, this is, this is the testimony. We show up 
on the bulletin, I don't know, I don't even know if they do church bulletins anymore, but <laughs> on the bulletin, the title of the sermon said, I love you so much, I'm willing to let you go. Wow. Which was like word for word what I said to her a couple months prior when I broke up with her. Wow. So she starts looking at it, looks at me. I'm looking, I'm like, and she starts like, did you know? I was like, I don't even think Pastor knew what he was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> So this is, there's no, once again, there's no explanation, but God. So we're looking. So now she's focused and listening. And by the end of the service, she's in tears. And I'm looking, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm like, <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting this. I was just trying to like do the good Christian thing. And she's in tears and, and we're walking back to the car, speechless. And then she tried to say something. I was like, don't even worry about it. You don't got to say nothing. I wasn't like I told you so. It wasn't like it wasn't that. It was. <laughs> but um, it was it was very it was those type of things, and that's what she needed because she comes from a from a family of hardcore atheists. Like they they've wow. studied it, they figured it out, so to speak, and and mm -hmm. so it wasn't like fly by night for her. So God caught had to hit her over the head and say, and show her in un, and undeniable terms. So. We're walking back and she can't talk. I can't talk. I, I didn't even know. Like, yeah, like I can't talk right now. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> so a few a few weeks later, she keeps coming, keeps coming. And then she makes that walk to the front and gets saved. And again, it blew my mind. It was it was something I wanted, obviously, but it was never something that I just didn't think that would happen, you know? Um. So So that kind of shifted things. And it further shifted things for me because it made me like, Oh wait, God did this. Now I gotta set my game up. I gotta be a better man, a better man of God, you know. Um, and almost to the day when she gets saved, I start going through financial hell. Hmm. I when I came out of school, I was living downtown Chicago. I was getting, I was making six figures, barely rolling out of bed. Hmm. That's when the mortgage industry was popping, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, it was it was so easy, man. And I was in subprime too, wholesale, um, 20, 22, 23 years old. You know, I'm at a different club every night, you know. And that was my my life. And then when she when when God did that for her, 06, 07, that's my recession. Mm -hmm. 08 was great for me. Uh, I was one of my best years. <laughs> so, <laughs> but for, for, for me, my personal recession was 06, 07. I went bankrupt. I lost six properties in foreclosure. I was doing real estate investing on the side. Um, the industry was crashing. So I, I people in the industry, we saw it before it happened. Uh -huh. and, and actually, when I left Countrywide, which was one of the 25 direct lenders with the um, government, we knew as working there, and I was re relatively fresh out of college, but in my limited knowledge, I knew certain things. I was like, oh, wait, right. their bond rating drop? And this was like four years before the whole thing crap, crapped out. So we knew some some stuff was going on. And so I lost all those properties in foreclosure. I ended up getting evicted from the from the house we lived in, wow. um, the, a, a nice townhouse in Lincoln Park. So my world was crashing, but for good reason, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. It was crashing. Uh, because I was doing the right things and I was re and the enemy was not happy that I was aligning my life, our lives um, in the right way. Wow. So that, that was a different kind of adversity because I didn't, it was, it was, it was, it was spiritual adversity, but for doing the right things, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't like, I put this on myself as far as doing something illegal um, and that's also hard for a young, a young Christian to understand. You just get saved and all of a sudden everything goes out, goes haywire. Like it's supposed to go the other way around, right? Right. <laughs> supposed to get I better. Think, I think we, we got to sometimes identify like different warfares or different battles come at us and right. you, you never know. Right. But you got to be, be, be able to identify like, why is this happening to me? How is this happening to me? And then decipher through that, which is what you were doing. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, uh, you you just said something in regards to like seeing an indicator when you was in that industry to see things that was coming. Can you speak to our audience, man, for people that are facing struggles or challenges? 
which you've been through yourself, man. What are some strategies that they can take away from your story that they could implement into their lives to get over some adversities that they're facing? Man? Part of it is, didn't, and I, this is later learned. I didn't know it at the time. I just kind of pushed through a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But if I can help anybody, it is, and this is once again more well laid out in my in my TED talk. But we we in society we've been taught a certain way to think and live, mm -hmm. and it's not completely wrong. But it's also not completely right. The mantras that we give that sound so great and so encouraging, they're, 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 they set us up for disaster, honestly. Right. Um, you're enough. That sounds so simple. The, the honest truth is you're not enough. You cannot do this by yourself. Mm -hmm. So whoever told you that lied. I'm sorry. There are no such things as self-made millionaires. There's no, there's no such thing as a self-made anything. Literally, you can't make yourself. Somebody made you two people. <laughs> so this we 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 like to we like to glamorize. Oh, the he pulled him up by the bootstraps and he made it and he's a self-made. No, he's not. He <laughs> she's not. They had help. And as the quicker you live into that and understand that I want and need guidance and mentorship, the earlier you say yes to that, the easier you'll it'll be to get where you want to go. Mm -hmm. You must, yeah, you must have somebody who is above you, who can pour into you, who can show you and who can guide you, even if that's from a distance. Now you asked me a question before and I didn't fully answer. About mentors and podcasts or books yep. and stuff, yeah. One of the people was um, Dr. Miles Monroe, mm -hmm. who now my friend is married to his daughter which is, that's also crazy. Cause I didn't know either one of them at the time when I first started, my mom introduced me to him. Mm -hmm. That helped me understand kind of a kingdom mindset and understand purpose. That's really where everything came from for me with purpose is, is it started there. And that from a distance, I never got to meet them and I actually went there, but he, and then he died the next year in the plane crash. In the plane crash, yeah. Yeah, so like I never physically met him and he doesn't know obviously he's gone now, how much he mentored me. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with me. There are people who, same thing with you. There are people who you're mentoring that you don't see physically. Right. They're listening to you. They're watching you. They're taking your course and you are mentoring them, just not directly. Now you have your personal coaching clients. That's, that's a different level, right? right? So I have that same kind of thing that some is from a distance. Um, they message me and stuff. That's great. Uh, and some is, hey, I'm going to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. But me having that in my own life is probably the only reason I'm I'm sitting here. That the the pastor who didn't think it was he was too busy to sit with me for an hour when it wasn't on his schedule. Mm -hmm. um, the person who had that phone conversation with me at midnight when I was you know struggling with just do I want to live anymore? Mm -hmm. um, you don't know. You just don't know how you fit into somebody's story. So that's one part. The second part, like I said in, in the TED talk, is is more expounded, but. Flip questions on their heads. I took three. And usually I, when I'm doing a, like a one-on-one -on -one coaching, there's I think there's either seven or eight now. One question. Uh, okay, here's a good example. Who are you jealous of? Hmm. That sounds bad, right? Jealousy. I don't want to be jealous of anyone. But you're not looking at it right. Jealousy is one side of a two-sided coin. And the other side of that coin is purpose. I'm not jealous of everyone. I've never been jealous of everyone. I've been jealous of certain people who do certain things. Mm -hmm. I've been jealous of certain speakers in the past, but I, don't, I wasn't really jealous. I just wanted to do that too. Mm -hmm. That's what jealousy reveals. Mm -hmm. So we can take jealousy one of two ways. You can take it to the point of pride and envy, or you can take it to the point of how do I submit to myself to that person if possible to learn mm -hmm. from them? Mm. So I, the people that to the best, to, to, to the degree I can, if I can get to that person, I'm going to go get to them and not bash them. I'm going to sit at their feet. I want to learn. I'll get their mm -hmm. books. I want to, you know, like I'm, I'm not angry. I, I admire it. My jealousy is coming from admiration. In other words, right, 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 right. And really everyone's is, but they don't always realize it or recognize it that way. So flip questions on their head. The question I gave earlier, what frustrates you in life? Usually we're taught, I was gonna let me, let me add to that point a little bit. Yes, yes. What you just said, man. I think when if people was to look at it that way, it it would uh, it would enlighten them so much because people look at that as like hate, 
and they're, yeah. then they'll they'll turn that the other way and won't support you, won't want to be a part of it, talk bad about you behind your back and those types of things, man. But go ahead, man. No, you're absolutely right. I have people, you know, you check YouTube comments. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, you did you watch the video, first of all? And second of all, you, you, you feel so comfortable calling me out my name on my own channel, and you don't know me at all. Right. But this is where pride and jealousy come out negatively. The yeah. internet is filled with it, right? <laughs> Just check social yeah. media. And I honestly, now I've gotten to the point where I feel bad for people like that. Mm -hmm. Because what really, you are unhappy in yourself. Mm -hmm. You're unfulfilled in yourself to the degree that you had to come on here and try to try to bring me down to your level, mm -hmm. which you can't. And I'm like, man, it's like, what happened, man? That's what I really want to ask. Like, <laughs> you good, man? You need, you, need some, you need some hug? Um, so, so another question, what frustrates you in life? What are you told, what are we told uh, when you, you know, our parents tell us you go to school, do, do what makes you happy in life? Uh, I don't know. I think you should get enjoyment and fulfillment out of the things you do. Mm -hmm. So I, I do as well, but I'm not happy when I see a kid in school struggling to, to learn because they, their, their, their dad was killed last year. Mm. I, I'm a former a social emotional learning mentor. I love it. I love I love being with that kid. I love doing what I do. I love being used in that way. But it doesn't make me happy. But I also understand that it's necessary. All right. Excuse me. So if it's just about let me see if I can say this. If it's just about what makes you happy, you know, this is why you got so many young ladies doing OnlyFans. They're making good money. Mm -hmm. if, if that's the only goal, make money and have fun, then okay. But is that the only goal? <laughs> the only goal? You know what I'm saying? It's like if if happiness is the goal of life, then who does the hard things? Who does the hard work? Right? And, and it's not it's not that um, it's about being fair or unfair. It's about being aligned with purpose right why when people are asked and used to look at polls and it says 70 percent of people when you ask them said they hate their job i don't believe god put us on earth to hate what we do 90 percent of the day i, I just don't believe that mm -hmm. now is everything about your job or life going to be easy no we can't conflate those two things there's things that are not easy in my job but i love what i do and i love the ability to do it mm -hmm. we have to stop wanting everything to be made and tailor-made for us and made and, and tailor-made to be easy that we we complain so much oh why can't it be like that why can't it these are first world problems like can we just have some perspective this is the microwave so, age man yeah man <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like we just need perspective so the, to answer your question flip the questions or flip the statements that you've been told on their head you're enough you're the best Everything you need is inside of you. Lie, lie, and lie. Everything you need is not inside of you. You are not enough. You will need help, a lot of it. And that's a good thing. Um, um, your job is not your identity. That's mm. another thing. So, so a lot of it is, is myth busting. We gotta, we gotta get our heads out of this, this cultural mythology that it sounds good, but no one gives us the framework to live those things out. Society sure doesn't. Government right. sure doesn't. So we got to figure these things out. And then when they don't work and you realize, oh, wait, I'm not enough. Well, hopefully you realize it before you're 30, 40, 50. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's that's often not the case, right? right. <laughs> so Man. I think flipping those questions on their head, getting good, solid mentorship, whether it's one on one or even from a distance through books or something like that. Most definitely. I agree with you, man. I think all of that to me ties into like the limiting beliefs that we tie around ourselves. Mm. And then when it comes to like some of the things with like your job or uh, the economic economical things that's tied to that, then I, I, I see some things around like imposter syndrome and stuff like that too as well, man. Yeah. So got a couple more questions before we get out of here, man. You mentioned something earlier 
and I wanted to touch on it, but I want you to expound on it a little bit because your life did go through some other things afterwards. And you said that you went to go see a counselor, ADHD was uh, diagnosed and all those things and stuff like that. But hearing your story, man, and for you to come on here and talk about it, right? Can you talk a little bit about mental health? Can you talk a little bit about some of the struggles that in regards to like seeing counselor seeking help and also some of the stigmas that's tied around it being an african-american man and being vulnerable and transparent and asking for help yeah man um i'll deal with that last part first because it wasn't for me i heard this part later that you know african-americans in general especially men don't go to counseling and i didn't go but i i didn't connect the dots of why and I think I don't think it was that. I think my mom was just kind of naive at that time, which is weird because my dad was a psychiatrist. So <laughs> you would think like if anybody would have known about it. But I think she was so distraught and she she needed help. She needed somebody um, to, to kind of cope, help her cope. And she didn't uh -huh. really have that either. So she was just trying to stay strong enough for us. And we're and so it was it, we didn't we just didn't know. Um, but ironically, when, when my mom passed and so she had a health issue, it left her almost completely blind the last year, year or two of her life. Uh -huh. Um, and both of them, I guess say this real quick, faith never wavered, mm. which is all, which is another lesson I learned indirectly. Um, she would go to and encourage the doctor. She would encourage me that I felt bad. I would call her. <laughs> I call her sometimes like, mom, this is happening. This is happening. And then you come away you're like, man, what am I complaining about? She, she encouraging me. She can't even see. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, perspective, right? <laughs> um, so I had, I had spoken at this conference in New Jersey, an apologetics conference, um, September 22nd, 2018. Uh, I came home that next day was a Sunday. I talked to her after church, probably like, I don't know, one or two in the afternoon. And that night my brother called and said she had passed. Mm -hmm. After we figured out how to get everything done with the funeral, because I, when I was young, I didn't help plan a funeral. I, I just had to go. But when you're, when you have to do it, especially for your parent, it's, I don't know, it, it's just not a, that's not an experience you really want to go through. I mean, we're all going to go through it eventually, but I think just I was too young. So we figured out how to do a funeral and get everything done. And we had talked about, I was like, man, definitely, man, this time we got to go to counseling. Um, and then, you know, one month turns into two, two turns into three, and we didn't go. And and I think about it now, actually, my brother, he got his PhD in psychology, too. So what, what for some reason, we keep missing this, man. <laughs> <laughs> so then um, I and I had thought about it. I was like, man, I need to get therapy. I got to go to therapy. And I wasn't struggling, but that's how it happened. It's subtle. It's like the stuff that's beneath the surface that you don't know you need to go to therapy for. But what really pushed it over the edge was in 21. 2021, yeah, September 2021 almost three years to the day after my mom, my grandma passed away. And she was kind of, she was 98. Mm -hmm. um, awesome, awesome woman, lived by herself the last, mm -hmm. most of my life, so I'm 40 years or something. That one's not tragic, and except for the sense that that was the last person that raised me that was here on earth. And after that one, I did that go to therapy and now I'm, I'm still in, uh, two, you know, I'm still in therapy now. Mm -hmm. It was like once once a month. I mean, it was once a week. Now it's once a month. But I I have finally got to the point of being consistent with therapy. So mm -hmm. I'm grateful to say that. And that has helped tremendously. Um, what was it? What was the, the first question? Because I have so much stuff going through my head right now. No worries, man. I, I guess ultimately, after hearing that part, what helped you develop that courage to even like go against the stigma of being mm -hmm. vulnerable and transparent and sitting down with somebody right. because 
it's a faux pas that we don't yeah. do that type of stuff. You know what I mean? So it was those two things. One, I think just because time had transpired, this is now 2021 and it's not mm -hmm. the stigma's not there as much, especially people who are already talking about mental health in the society. Yeah. So I think probably just the timing of it was easier for me. And the other part was honestly, I don't care what nobody thinks. I'm struggling. I, I need this or I'm gonna hurt somebody. Um and I now at this point I'm married with kids also. So when my dad passed, that wasn't a situation. Um, there was I was married with kids with my mom, but it was a different situation. And this was kind of kind of that last straw. And I was like, I just I just got to do this. And some other things that started to creep back in my life as far as some drinking. And, and I was like, okay, I can't. We we can't go down this road again. So I went in therapy and still there today. And I guess getting to that point of I don't care what anybody says or thinks um, and no one's really said anything about it. But at some point, it's about survival. Yeah. At some point, you got to do what you got to do to make it. And, and everybody needs different things. And you can't try to impose your need on somebody else's or lack thereof. Um, so that's what I would say. I just I just said enough is enough. I got to I, I can't fix me. Man, thank you for that, bro. For for the listeners that's listening, man, as we get ready to wrap up, what is a message or a key takeaway that people can take from your story, man? Yeah, kind of my tagline is you have been created on purpose with a purpose. And and that sounds cool, sounds cliche, sounds sounds like a tagline, which it is, but it's true. And every word of that sentence matters. You were created not by your mom and dad, yes, by them, but also by the ultimate creator. And that is not just a fly-by-night statement. That's a very important statement because it's the only thing that can give you ultimate identity, ultimate worth, ultimate value. If, if those things come only from people, then you don't really have them because they can always be taken away. Mm -hmm. So getting an understanding of your true value, your true human value, your true identity, it can only come from him. So you were created by the creator on purpose that means it was intentional so i i make a joke sometimes like i don't care if the condom broke <laughs> your, your birth did not catch god by surprise so, <laughs> it might have caught somebody else by surprise <laughs> but um it was intentional and i think that matters because people need to understand man like i'm here i get to live this life because god wants me to mm -hmm. And there's a purpose and so the rest of your life hopefully not the whole rest is figuring out the purpose for which you're here and part of the ways you can do that is mm -hmm. listening to people like you how do i how do i understand even the things i've been through mm -hmm. um it is it is in um kind of the focus of my ted talk like re reorienting the questions that we ask ourselves um that those types of things will help you kind of narrow in but understanding first that you have a way to ground your identity and ground your value and that that is not just grounded for your sake it's grounded for a purpose and so whatever comes whatever people say you can be secure in who you are and that will if every person on this almost eight billion person planet had that man there'd be less crime if none i mean if, if any at all Mm -hmm. If everybody was really thriving and operating in their purpose, nobody's trying to step in your lane because there they have their own lane, mm -hmm. right? Where we get into contention is I see Michael Allison like, man, I'm better than him. I can do that. And then I want to step on your toes and take your spot. Mm -hmm. No, God has a purpose for me. I don't need to, I don't need anything to step on your toes. Right. So we, we, we get competitive. Um, and then the competitiveness leads to ego, leads to pride, leads to jealousy, leads to, right? So, fully understanding who you are first probably is the biggest thing so was it mark twain who said the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why mm -hmm. there it is man how can people find you book you to speak get you on their podcast if you can tell us that and then to close us out, man, tell us uh, some things you got coming up uh, for yourself, man. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and thanks again for having me. This was really fun. Um, and I hope it was a blessing to somebody. So there's a couple of websites, um, alexrmcelroy.com. And you can go there and that'll get you everywhere else. And you can book and you can get the book. Book me and, and get the book. And you can go to proofforthetruth.org. And that is the dedicated um, apologetics website. And you can book me there as well. Um, the conference has not been scheduled for this year yet. Um, you can also get to the YouTube channel from there, which is YouTube Relentless Pursuit of Purpose. Relentless Pursuit of Purpose. And um, there I have uh, either a video I produce or an interview I do every Thursday evening at 7 Central. Um, go check that out. There's a library of resources now. I know everybody watches videos. And so I really wanted to create that to, um, well, actually it was during the pandemic. I couldn't go speak. I lost four speaking engagements in two weeks. So I was like, <laughs> man, what I got to do now? I got to do something. So I started the YouTube channel and now it's kind of taken off and it's a blessing in disguise. So um, yeah, and most questions you have about the faith, I've done my best to answer them on there or my guest has. So go check that out. Um, and I just I just look forward to serving those that I can. Absolutely. Alex, man, it's been a pleasure to have you here, man. Thank you for coming on, sharing your wisdom and your story, bro. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Until next time, guys. God bless. Can't complain at all. Couple dollars in my pocket. No income and go. Been working on my body, getting healthier Thank God for clarity